0: Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast for this week. You know, every week we have in person church. I record a special podcast only version of the Sunday sermon. So, wherever you are, whenever you are, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to know more about Everyone Church, Find us on Instagram, Facebook, go to our website, everyonechurch.com.au. We'd love you to join the journey with us. But today we're continuing our series that we have called Elephants in the Room. And we use this term to refer to topics or problems or people that are so obvious, yet no one wants to address them. And there are a number of hot topics that we don't talk about a lot in church, like suffering or end times or politics. And, and many of us could be in church for decades, years and years, and never hear a teaching or a sermon about any of these. Now, why is that? Well, it's because it's not popular. <laughs> it's not easy. And there are varying conclusions of uh, on all these topics. And, and it can become quite divisive. And here's a big one. We, we prefer feel-good sermons. And sometimes, you know, It it takes maturity and humility to serve and love someone I disagree with, so we'd rather just not talk about our disagreements, not talk about the big elephants in the room. But I genuinely believe we can find hope in the midst of difficult topics, and God's Word is there to help us navigate through difficult terrain, and we started this series by setting out some ground rules because we want to be on the same page, which, which I remind us of each week. We don't want to just want to open cans of worms and, and cause division and distraction. We've called these our five rules for wrestling an elephant, and I want to remind us of them each week. They are, number one, always point to Jesus. We want to point to Jesus in every topic and situation we're in. Number two is, we don't aim to just be right, we aim to love. We aim to love one another. Number three is that we trust God and learn to live with tension. There are going to be topics and areas of our life where there's a tension. There's an unresolvedness to certain areas of of life. And, you know, life is a trust fall into the arms of God. And we trust him. We trust him. And, and our trust is not just baseless. No, we have reason, good reason to trust God. So we trust Him and learn to live with tension. Number four is that we don't be lazy. If you hear something, you, if you have questions, if you want to study something, go and study it. Don't wait for me to spoon-feed you on a podcast or just Google and get the first you know three sentences of a Wikipedia page and think that that's the answer. no. Difficult topics require a bit of digging, and uh, don't be lazy. Number five is don't do it alone or just on YouTube. You know, there's a context in which you live. Uh, God hasn't asked you to just live in like some hideaway study, watching YouTube videos to build your whole doctrine and theology. No, he's called you to live in the body of Christ. There are people who love you and want to do life with you. So don't just do it alone. Do it with others. Absolutely. so, And as you may have gathered from last week, our goal isn't just to give basic intellectual answers. It's to equip you to walk with Jesus in the midst of tricky topics. In some ways, we don't just wrestle these elephants, these difficult topics, to defeat them. No, we actually learn to walk with them and trust the Lord. We And God uses them to help us, believe it or not. It's like we become friends with the elephants in the room, right? Uh, so you can catch up on our previous uh, episodes on the podcast. Check them out. Our first elephant last week was the elephant of suffering and evil. It's a big one. And now our next big topic, hot topic, is the elephant of end times. Here we go. Did anything strange or unusual happen to you today? You know, anything like, oh, total death and destruction, havoc week, the end of the world, that sort of thing. Well, today's the day that all that was supposed to happen. March 10th is the day when all the planets of the solar system are on one side. of. Th- You're predicting the world for... Yeah, September. Right. So do you want to take us through... In Matthew 24, verse 21, it says... Judgment Day is at hand, according to a Christian radio preacher in California. The last time camping predicted Armageddon in 1994. In May 21, there's going to be a terrific earthquake. Morning. He took almost... All right. Of his life. End said. times. I love the suspicious music. It's kind of setting the scene for us. But uh, hey, look, we're going to kind of nerd out today. I hope you don't mind. And some of this might go way over your head, but please just stay with us. We'll wrap it up in the end with some real practical life steps and how this applies to us as Christians. But the study of end times is what we call eschatology, which derives from a Greek word that literally means the study of last things. Eschatology. Now, everybody, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you're a theist or an atheist, has an end times view. Some say climate change will be our end. Uh, some say uh, some sort of massive extinction event like a meteor or something will end us. Some people believe we'll just nuke ourselves to death. Uh, some people believe that the sun will burn out eventually, uh, The food shortages will end, uh, end us. Uh, Elon Musk says that our low birth rate will be our end, or maybe AI will take us all out eventually. But don't just say, oh, no one cares about this, when in truth, the world is feeding you its eschatology, its study of the end times. For us as Christians, eschatology is concerned with what the Bible says about the events leading up to and including the return of Jesus, which we believe will happen. Now, like me, you might be cringing at the thought of some crazy guy or girl um, predicting the end of the world and throwing out all sorts of strange things that they're seeing on the news. I remember I was at a Planet Shakers youth conference years and years ago, and uh, a speaker was up. I'm not going to say their name, just to save them the embarrassment, just in case they hear this. You never know. Uh, and they were up there, and they said, hey, you know, Jesus is going to be back before next year's conference. This is at a youth conference, right? Thousands of, of, of young people. And it was kind of weird, and it was kind of this awkwardness in the giant auditorium and the funny part was that the person who had to get up after this speaker their uh task was to promote registering for the next conference so they were kind of like just ignore what they said and make sure you register for next year's conference you know uh the truth is there's a lot of nutheads out there right and and many uh in in the past have gone way out of balance with their end times teaching and and predictions and things like that. You know, I was speaking to a, a really good friend this week, a couple of good friends actually, about their experience of growing up in real end times focused teaching. Uh, and one of my friends reminded me of, of when he was a kid, um, him and his brothers would be at home alone and they'd be so worried about like the rapture that they would, um, you know, if their parents were were taking longer to get home, they'd, they'd phone someone else in the church who they knew was a real Christian just to check that the rapture hadn't happened or or even stories of traumatizing like movies of heads being decapitated and stuff in the great tribulation or or even um hearing of of people who really feared having kids because they they were were so worried about bringing their kids into this potentially terrible world of end times right so there has been particularly in like the 70s 80s 90s some really damaging end times teaching. So it's no wonder we don't talk about it much, right? No wonder it becomes a bit of an elephant in the room. And for decades, it seems that there was a culture of fear around what the Bible says about the end times. And fear was in some ways seen as like an effective evangelistic tool, if I was to be honest. like Today, uh, it's become a bit of a taboo topic. And on top of that, as with many theological topics, there's a large portion of end times teaching that aggressively attacks those who disagree with them um, and they catastrophize and limit healthy dialogue. So uh, like why are end times teachers like always so angry and sweaty like they've just gone on the jog in their suit before they got up to speak, right? And they're breathing heavily and they're looking at you in the eyes and saying, the Lord's coming back, right? We don't want that. My, my, and my goal today is not so much to tell you what I think will happen in the end times, although I mentioned my kind of views in a bit. Uh, in fact, I hold my end times views very loosely, uh, not because they aren't important, but more so because you know it's very difficult to be sure on some theological topics without lots and lots of study, and I'm a work in progress. And I'm not just here to share my opinion of what the Bible is saying. I want to equip you with real practical steps to help you walk with Jesus in this in this big topic of end times. Walk with this big elephant, right? And so my focus today is for you as a Christian, why should you care? What should your posture be towards this topic? How does this affect your purpose and mission in life today? Eschatology is a huge topic with lots of different views and interpretations, and and as with any topic, there are people who are fired up about it and people who aren't. And and if you're really passionate about this, great, that's awesome. And if you... uh aren't, that's okay too. Uh, And if you are, don't get mad at those who aren't, right? So quickly, let's just go over, just to kind of help us understand a little bit, uh, some different end times views, okay? This is the nerd out part. Now, end times has a lot to do with the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and how it's interpreted. And there are four prevailing methods of interpreting the book of Revelation. Uh, And each of these are like glasses. Think of it like uh, or a decoder method like when you put on these certain methods these glasses and you read the book of revelation you come you see it through that lens through that way of interpreting right and a lot of these different opinions uh are really kind of shaped around uh th- this thing we call the millennium which is a period of time which is mentioned in revelation chapter 20 uh and so there and there are also uh varying degrees within these four Interpretive methods, um, and you, some people can be a bit of a mix of them. So, here we go. Let's just go over them really quickly. So, number one is what we call the historicist method, and they, the historicists, see the book of Revelation as an outline of the entire history from the time of Christ and in his, in his incarnation all the way till his final return. And they see the symbolic references in Revelation, which there are tons of them, they see them as referring to literal historic figures like the popes and the Reformation and stuff. And it's kind of like they view the book of Revelation as a literal history of the future. It's like writing about the future, but in the form of history. Um, So that's the historicist method. Another method is the idealist method. Now, this view holds that the book of Revelation is primarily a a symbolic description of the ongoing battle between God and the devil. And they view the symbolic references in Revelation as ideals, not really specific people or things. This is why we get that word idealist method. They view them as like just kind of broad uh, symbolisms right? And now these first two, historicist method and idealist method, they're related in a sense that they view Revelation as a broad time frame, and one is looking for a literal uh, person or thing, you know, through the book of Revelation. The other one is looking for just general trends. And this is a very basic way to explain it, okay? So but now I want to move on to the more juicy ones, because to be honest, the historicist and the idealist method are kind of... Um, not super popular right now, and each end times views kind of goes up and down in popularity throughout history. But uh, the next method is what we call the preterist method. And they view everything in Revelation up until chapter 20, verse 6, as already happened. And they believe it happened when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So uh, they interpret Revelation, most of it, right up to chapter 20, as... A prediction of the future, and it actually did happen. Okay, now this makes a lot of other uh, end times viewers very uh, angry because well, how dare you say Revelation has already happened? But they they have their reasons to um, to draw these conclusions, and it's gaining a lot of pe- popularity right now among scholars as we learn more about that era of history. And uh, they largely believe that the millennium, this uh, thousand year period, is 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 not a literal thousand years. It's, it's just a long period of time. It's like an ancient way of saying it's going to be a long period of time, a thousand years. And they believe that the church will continue to grow and grow and slowly win the world as the gospel is shared. So the preterist view. Okay, now the last view is the futurist method. And this is probably what most people grew up hearing about in the church in the 80s and 90s, and it's almost the opposite of the preterist view. They believe revelation hasn't happened yet. This is this futurist view that it's going to happen in the future. Revelation is looking to the future, and and this leads to a lot of like newspaper exegesis, like people looking in the news for searching for revelation fulfillments in present day events. And futurists largely understand the millennium as uh, as a literal thousand year um, reign of Christ, where Jesus comes back before it. Um, And this is what we call premillennialism, for those who might be familiar. And futurists also largely believe that before Jesus comes again, there will be the seven-year period of tribulation where lots of terrible stuff will happen. And this is a very popular viewpoint. And this is, to be honest, where a lot of the fear teaching comes from. Uh, And each of these views have different ways that they view the the role of the devil on earth, uh, the rapture um, as like literal or symbolic. And some people have a blend of these. Okay, just deep breath. Is your brain exploding yet? Um, now, what's my personal view? And as I said, I hold these things very loosely, and my views may change in, in, in time. You never know. But right now, to be honest, I tend to lean towards a partial preterist view um, because I feel like the evidence is somewhat overwhelming um, how things unfolded leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm also not a huge fan of John Nelson Darby, the founder of Dispensational thought and also uh, the exclusive brethren, uh, which is kind of where some of that teaching leads. And I also will say it's it's somewhat important to know where different theological views originate and where and what it produced <laughs> after they originated. And also, I believe that uh, the church is the people of God, and we are the temple. Like things aren't so much tied to geographic locations as the futurists or um, dispensational thinkers belief. Um, For me personally, I'm not really looking for a temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. Now, some people would label me as like, oh, you're a replacement theology heretic. Well, that's good for you. I I have my reasons and I hold them loosely, but... I can't get into all the details here, but I will say, if if you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, just stick with us, okay? I'm kind of appealing to those who might be really interested in this topic, but how should you view Revelation? Here's a question. Uh, Well, that's totally up to you. Any interpretation method has its flaws, has its strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I love what the new Bible commentary says about the book of Revelation. Listen to this quote. It says, these modes of interpreting Revelation, referring to like the modes we just talked about, it says they are all unsatisfactory. No one would dream of applying them to the prophetic works of the Old Testament. It says, the introduction to this book itself indicates that it belongs to three kinds of literary works, namely apocalypse, prophecy, and letter. And I think that's a wise way to kind of view Revelation. It's apocalyptic, meaning that doesn't mean doom and gloom. It's a common literary mode of that time period where its chief concern was about writing, about uh, God's purpose in history, and notably, like bringing about judgment on the wicked and the earth, and and his and bringing forth his kingdom for the righteous. So it's it was it's an it's an apocalyptic uh, piece of literature. Also, it's a prophetic piece of literature, uh, and prophecy in the New Testament can be described as spirit guided words which reveal God's purpose for the world and His will for humankind. So it assures us that all opposition cannot stand against God's purposes for the world. So it's apocalyptic, it's prophetic, but also it's a letter. Uh, it's I don't think it's recognized enough that Revelation is fundamentally a letter addressed to the churches that John, the author was concerned for and had special responsibility over. Now, what does this mean? Well, this letter was directed to the situation and needs of the churches it was written to. In other words, like the rest of the Bible, it wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. Okay? It wasn't written to some guy in 2023 to read whilst drinking his coffee and say, "Ah, I knew John was writing about vaccines. He wasn't. He was writing to a specific audience, all right? So that's enough nerding out. Let's just zoom out a bit. So the main things that we should all agree on as Christians when it comes to end times is that Jesus will return in the future, that there is an eternal kingdom on its way, that there is a resurrection of the saints, that's Christians, that we will dwell with God forever, and that we should be sharing the gospel to everyone everywhere in the meantime, right? And there is These are the big picture things, the closed hand things that we should be non-negotiable on. Jesus wins in the end. Jesus is victorious. We should be filled with hope, not fear about the future. We should look at the future with confidence in our God, not just this fear, oh, I'm looking out for bad things, oh my goodness, looking out for signs of when the tribulations, no, 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 be bold, be strong, endure, move on. That's why I like to start on suffering last week to give us that kind of perspective that, hey, listen, uh you know, don't run away. We're, we're here to move on, march on, start reading newspapers and worrying and wondering. Like, Look at the pandemic. How many Christians did you know that were just freaking out, worried, fearful? It's because that internal like end times uh, teaching that was poured into many Christians in their upbringing started to come out, right, in these difficult situations. And many Christians I knew were raised with this fear-based end times teaching, struggling with fear, do not worry. Do not fear. Like Jesus says in Matthew six thirty four. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, Jesus is speaking about God's provision for us in those verses, that he will be faithful to look after us, right? If he looks after the birds, he'll look after you, is what he says, right? And I think the key here is balance. Uh, you're not called to live in ignorance of end times, but don't live obsessed by them or burdened by them, which brings me to the heart of today's message, and that is how does this affect your day-to-day walk as a Christian? What what should end times produce in me as a follower of Jesus? Well, just like last week, I'm going to give us a few pointers, and you may have your own that you would add to this, but I think this is a good starting point. They all start with M, which is just magnificent. So four areas that end times should affect us as Christians. Number one is in our mindset. Our mindset. The awareness of how the world ends, according to Scripture, should affect our mindset, our perspective. Our mindset should be one of hope, should be one of internal significance, not just temporal things, but eternal things. I love what the apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 to 4. He says, "Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand." Verse 2 says, "Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God." And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. And then he goes on to say, "Hey, don't sin anymore." Live as citizens of heaven, right? There is a shift that happens when I know where I'm heading and on whose word I am trusting. I'm trusting God's word. It changes my daily mindset. End times should affect our mindset. The second area that it should affect us as Christians is in our movement. Now, what do I mean by our movement? Well, there is this out-of-balance area of end times thinking that causes people to be idle and just sit around waiting for the Lord to come back, right? Right? And the, I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but the Apostle Paul had to deal with this in the church in Thessalonica, where people thought Jesus were coming was coming back at any moment. You know, they thought that they were the the last generation, and so they just stopped doing stuff. And wouldn't that be awesome? It's like, I'm not going to work today, honey. Call call work. Tell them Jesus is coming back. I'm not I'm not coming in. Well, now, look, there are, there's a lot of end times teaching in in one Thessalonians and two Thessalonians, which are letters that Paul wrote to this church. And then amongst them are also these great practical life encouragements, like this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Verse 12 says, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Balance people, right? End times shouldn't cause us to hide in a bunker, waiting for Jesus, eating cans of tuna. No, it should actually produce in us the opposite. We should start getting to work for God because our time is limited, because our lives are a witness to others. I love that those verses that say, then those who are not believers will see the way you live. Like, what does it say to the world when we're hiding in fear, waiting, Right. Because we actually have a reason to get moving, to stay ready, to keep our lamps burning for God. Which brings me to our our third and final area that end time should affect us as Christians, and that is in our mission. So our mindset, our movement, and our mission. You know, to know that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, to know that He is coming and will bring forth an eternal kingdom, where only those who belong to Him will live with Him for eternity. I mean, this is the mission that we have for today. To bring the gospel, to bring the good news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere, that all would know, that all would have a chance to call upon the name of Jesus. My pastor, uh, Pastor Jack, used to tell us all the time that the Bible says, you know, you know how the Bible says, "There's a a a thousand years are but a day to the Lord." Well, he did some math and calculated that a an eighty year old person gets about one point nine hours of God time. So, and he use that to kind of quote Robert Moffat, who says, we have all of eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. Come on. We have a mission to win the world, and time is precious. Time is precious. In Revelation, it talks about the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, which in it is recorded all the names of those who put their trust in Jesus. And When talking about the new heaven and earth, it says in Revelation 21, verse 27, Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, how does a man like me get his name in a book like that? It's through Jesus. It's only through him. And our mission is to bring him to others. His message of forgiveness and love and grace and a place in eternity with Him. So as Christians, our end times view should produce in us. It should have a positive effect on our mindset, our movement, and our mission. Amen. Now, speaking of the Lamb's Book of Life, is your name in that book? How does a sinner like you get his name in a book or her name in a book like that? It's through Jesus. It's through putting your faith in in him. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer here, and you might be driving your car on a jog somewhere. And if you want to put your faith in Jesus, I want you to say this prayer to him today. As I say it out loud, say it to him in your heart. This is a prayer asking for forgiveness and putting your faith in him. That prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, I pray to you today and I ask you to forgive my sin. I give my heart to you. I believe in you. I believe you came and that you gave your life on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again. And today I receive by faith your forgiveness and friendship. I thank you that I will enter heaven one day to be with you forever. Help me on this journey of following you. Amen. Amen. And I'll tell you, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, and you put your faith in Jesus, your name, we believe your name will be written in the book of life, and you will enter heaven to be with him forever. Amen. Now that's a hope-filled future. And also, I just want to quickly pray for those who might be burdened by end times teaching, maybe your peace has been affected. Maybe you've been carrying a weight since childhood. Well, I'm going to pray that you would experience God's peace today and his hope over your life. Can we pray together? Lord, I thank you for every person that's listening to our podcast, everybody in everyone, church, and even visitors. And I just pray that your peace would be upon us. I thank you that you win in the end. I thank you that you are victorious. That you, and, and it's in your word that we trust. Lord, we're not here for doom and gloom. We're here for looking to you as our victorious one. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, that's a big topic. I hope that uh, your brain didn't explode too much. I hope you enjoyed it. You might want to listen again. If you have any questions, hey, we can get a coffee. I'd love to chat about it. Uh, and, And hey, let's get some discussion happening. Why not? Let's not ignore this elephant in the room. Let's learn to walk with it, with our mindset, with our movement and our mission. Have a great week.